looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This is Earl Maynard. I'm listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. 
Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest was brought to us from Dr. Mike Lano, but this next guest is from a wonderful area of the world, Barbados. He is known for being a bodybuilder, professional wrestler, film actor, producer, director. I hear you, he even dabbled in real estate, but there's just so much to get into with this guest, but I wanna have Dr. Mike do an intro properly because this man has so many different credentials we will get into dr mike well earl the pearl mr universe maynard um who i've known on and off since i i think i was trying to recall if it was 69 or 70 that he came into my main primary home base territory los angeles shooting for mike labelle my big boss overall boss but he competed everywhere he's one of those pillars who even before Rocky Johnson ever got to the tri WF of Vince McMahon Sr., Earl had already done that, like around 64, 65, uh, was a mainstay in Los Angeles for at least about three years, held the our localized tag straps, the America's tag team titles, with another pillar, uh, Dory Dixon, who we'll get into. I want to ask Earl about Dory because I lamented that our viewers, the Marks, had no idea what a total legend, late 50s on, that Dory Dixon was. But Earl, of course, wrestled everywhere. He, uh, the acting, the, the list of uh, credentials that this man had, but he and his lovely wife, Sydney, just got back from a big cruise. So Earl, um, you know, I haven't had you on since I dragged you to Cauliflower Alley with another Los Angeles LaBelle stablemate, Dan King Crow Croppet from Calgary. But Earl, first of all, how the heck are you guys doing? And you had a fantastic cruise. Uh, I, I forget, are, are you the king of the Bahamas or the king of Barbados? I thought you were the king of the Bahamas. <laughs> My, first of all, I must say to you how honored I feel, how wonderful I feel after knowing you for so many wonderful years that we can have a chat because you have been a friend for over close to 50 years. I appreciated your friendship. I appreciated your knowledge. You've been a help to me in my, in my years of wrestling. And I'm telling you, I feel so wonderful here in this interview, talking to a friend for close to 50 years. Most importantly, to see how well you look over the years and it is an absolute pleasure to be on this interview with you i must have that part established first and foremost and now, i want to add also the most <laughs> unique the master of the headbutt the most you know a lot of guys did headbutts but nobody did it cocking his head to the side and then going right in it was the most unique high spot for the time and uh, you were still the master, the king of that. Uh, I think it's copyrighted, trademarked to you. And um, well, tell us first about the cruise. You just had a cruise, so so. But you are in where you're uh, the the king of the Bahamas. But on your cruise, you went to Barbados. Is that right? Where George? Not Bahamas, my careful Barbados, not Bahamas. Different country. Barbados. You, you keep saying Bahamas. No, the, the cruise was called. The ship was called the World. Right. And you had to own a condo on the ship. You just can't go and book. You have to be an owner. Right. And these owners live year-round on the ship. 
get out into different ports around the world. Beautiful. To me, that shit is a village on the ocean. You yeah. heard me? A village on the ocean. Beautiful condominiums, balconies. My word. I've been on ships before, but the, the world is the epitome to me of a good, wonderful cruise. We were guests of, of owners of condos on the ship. One of my, my guests was one of my clients in California years ago. And I trained him and worked with him. And he was so appreciative of the years we spent together, not just in training, but in life discussing interesting aspects of living well and comfortably. So he felt that he owed me something. And I, I, I said, no, but he, he thought that because of the input in making his life the way it has become, that he wanted to do something special for my wife and I and gave us this beautiful trip. And he came off with us in Barbados, spent some time at our home with us. He loved the Barbados. And uh, let's go again. But he is involved in Nicaragua. Uh, for poor young girls uh, in education. So he has a, a very big program in Nicaragua for poor indigenous girls to get an education and to improve the, the, the way they live. So he's very important in doing wonderful things in Nicaragua and other areas. So just like you, Mike, that's a wonderful guy, likes to help people, likes to do things to help others. So both of you are just wonderful individuals. Well, so because I, I'm having a brain fart, are you? Do you guys live in Barbados or the Bahamas? I'm, I'm confused now. But okay. we've been here for 20 years in Barbados. But and, were you uh, born? Were you initially born in Barbados or the Bahamas, Grand Bahamas? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's where, okay. I was born that's here, where, and I moved where, to England at an early age. Because that's why I was emailing you. Uh, the The national news has been talking about Rihanna as well as Lenny Kravitz, two of today's you know, biggest global entertainer superstars. They've been doing things. One, I think Rihanna in Barbados, uh, or is it Lenny Kravitz, who's helping with a, uh, a whole dental project to help people that are too poor to afford healthcare. And he's really, that's his pet project. So that's made a lot of news. Well, at least it's, we're sort of in the, the ballpark area. I, I, the reason I keep talking or love Barbados is, uh, George Harrison of the Beatles. That's where he got married first to Patty Boyd Harrison. Yes. Anyway, yes. And that was his favorite place in the world. I don't know if he owned property there as he did Maui, but George Harrison put that, made that indelible to a lot of us, you know, that either ran local Beatles fan clubs in the 60s or whatever. That was such a huge deal to learn about this. So sort of like wrestling, we learned about other places around the world, like Austria or South Africa, where there was apartheid and stuff, when we'd hear uh, pro wrestling reports or boxing or later MMA and, and stuff. Do you, do you guys even have, so where you are, are, are does anybody come in with tours? I, I know they did, um, guys in Florida, in like the 70s and 80s, but does anybody bring wrestling or boxing or mixed martial arts or do you have promotions where you are? Yes. Uh, you know of a singer called Eddie Grant who did Electric Avenue and those songs, sure. Eddie Grant? Yeah. Eddie Grant lives in Barbados. He's from Guyana, but he has a big studio here and the Rolling Stones and other stars come to do their records in Barbados at Eddie Grant's, uh, I record here. So Eddie Grant, he lives here. And uh, one of my dearest friends, matter of fact, he wrote the forward on my book, The Man Who Ruled the Universe. 
which is so, and it's very popular here in Barbados, but Mariana, is, uh, there's a lot for the country, uh, set up eye clinics, and there's a lot of, lot of good things for, for the country. So, and it's claimed that Rihanna and I put Barbados on the map, but there are other guys here in different spheres, uh, a guy called Sir Garfield Sobers, who played cricket, which is a very big sport in Barbados. Yeah. So, no, not anymore here. Uh, at one time, some wrestlers from uh, Florida came in, uh, not anymore wrestling in Barbados, no. Martial arts, yes. I remember bringing a job from Goldfinger. Remember a job from Goldfinger? Harold Sakata. He absolutely loved it. That's Harold Sakata, who. Uh... Uh, Sakata, yes, yes, indeed. But people didn't know that he won a bronze medal in the Olympic Games as a weightlifter. Wow. That was hardly known. I didn't know. Uh, that. And the London Olympics, he won, he won a bronze medal and then started wrestling from, from Hawaii. Wonderful was... guy. We wrestled in Barbados and also wrestled in Guyana. So he was like Kenshi Shibuya, not really from Japan, but from uh, Hawaii. Yes. Yes. Where, of course, I shot a couple of times. I can't remember if you were on one of the cards in like 72 for Ed Francis and Lord Blears, who promoted Honolulu. Yeah, yes. But he was in Hawaii, Lord Blears. He yeah. did the Hawaii circuit. But here's the thing. Peter, uh, the Rock's grandmother was promoting wrestling in Hawaii. Oh, that's, yeah, that's... Uh, Mavia. Leah, Peter Mavia's wife. I have a million stories of her because she would bring those tours of her Honolulu promotion. This was after the glory days of Ed Francis, where, I mean, everybody who was anybody, including yourself, yeah. Lassie, Kaniski, Giant Baba, everybody came in, either they were going or coming from the mainland to Japan, and they would stop off. The, the array of stars was unparalleled in Honolulu, but... Um, Leah came later afterwards and she would bring the tours to San Jose where she had TV. It was the only place in the U.S. where she put on her TV in like the late 80s. And um, she got some of Inoki's New Japan guys, Antonio Inoki's, and then uh, Kevin Sullivan would bring in Sheik Ed Farhad and Bruiser Brody and a few people that you knew. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that because I want to throw it to Jonathan and let him ask some questions. But Eddie Grant, you and I talked about him a good, I don't know, what it was, 12, 14 years ago when I had you on the show last and we dragged you to Cauliflower Alley in Vegas where you got to see some tremendous friends of yours, longtime friends. But uh, because the show is Crazy Train Radio, we love talking about music. But Eddie Grant, supreme fav favorite of mine, you know, even before Electric Avenue and then, of course, that hit and he had some other hits. He was a real king of MTV you know, in the, the glory period, like eight, 1983, et cetera. Jonathan, let me throw back to you. I know you've got a lot of questions for our guests. Earl the Pearl, Mr. Universe Maynard. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And I want to acknowledge Earl's other half, who is in the room as well, Cindy. And I do want to acknowledge their anniversary we were talking about. That's going to be happening. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. But I want to dip into the wrestling side a little bit because I was doing some research this afternoon and this morning and all getting ready for this. And there was a little thing on this Google machine because we know everything on the Internet is 100 percent true. But the article I was reading was from was a uh, slam wrestling and it was written by. 
I think there's some guy named Mike Lana who's on a call. Yeah. And he was talking about getting reconnected with you from a gentleman that you had uh, interviewed, Mike. So where did you guys actually first meet? I was just a ringside photographer. For, I was one of several. There was Theo Eric was the big one. And I'll shut up. And Dan Westbrook came a little bit later, like around 1970. Phil Miller, uh, who did it for maybe a year and a half and then stopped altogether. And then uh, myself. So, but I was like one of the few that would talk my way into the downstairs dressing room. If Earl remembers the Olympic Auditorium, there was where the wrestler's parking lot was, was like just a couple of feet you'd enter. And then there's the men's dressing room. You had to go downstairs. It was the only dressing room I could think of like that, because Shires at the Cow Palace, you had to climb upstairs to the dressing room from the, you know, the main area where the marks or fans were not allowed. Uh, but, you know, I, those guys either were too smart or didn't have the brass set of balls I did to sneak down and, you know, impose people. Like when different world champions would come in, I knew I had to get back there. This was my only opportunity to get them to do post belt shots. But anyway, that's kind of where I met and started bugging Earl. Well, I'm curious now, because uh, as we mentioned in the introduction and everything, Earl, you got your start in bodybuilding, but also from, if I read everything correctly, you went into the Royal Air Force after you spent some time in England getting an education. So what led you to professional wrestling? The first question, when you mentioned slam wrestling, that article, everyone on the world saw that article. I took it with me. I showed it. I made a speech on the ship and everyone on the ship saw that article from slam wrestling that you referred to just now. But the thing is, when I was in the Royal Air Force, I was stationed in Cyprus. And in Cyprus, there wasn't much weight training at all, but a lot of wrestling. The Greeks and the Turks were good wrestlers. So I started wrestling while in the military stationed in, in Akateri, Cyprus. So wrestling there with the Greeks and the Turks, they could not believe that a bodybuilder had the flexibility and the range of motion to wrestle, they thought you'd be muscle bound and stiff and, and, and lumbering. They were surprised that I could do a Western bridge, flip guys off my, off, off my chest, hook their legs, put them to the mat. They could not believe it. And a wrestling promoter was there on vacation, saw me wrestling and said to me, how much longer am I, will I be in the, in the military? Show? I said, another eight months. He said, I want you to wrestle for me in England gave me a contract, and when yeah. I left the Air Force, I went back to England and started wrestling in England. That's how it started. Well, I'm curious to know as well, because not people of my generation would know this name, but I know it from definitely my share of homework and following the business. But where does uh, Gus Garris get in, come into play, the Kansas City promoter? I'm wrestling in Germany every year. There is a German tournament called the European Meisterschaft. That means the European Master Championships. And contestants from all over the world travel to Germany, from America, Austria, Belgium, Poland, England, everywhere, wrestle in the tournaments. You wrestle in one town 30 straight days. There are like 16 wrestlers on the program, and you wrestle each other 
every night, different nights, but for the same town, Carlsruhe, Crawford, Stuttgart, uh, different, uh, different cities for 30 straight days. There was a Greek wrestler in the tournament, saw me and said to me, would you like to wrestle in America? I said, but of course, I've always loved America. Of course I want to go to America. He said that one of his friends is a Greek promoter in Kansas City, Missouri. And made, put me in contact with Guth Karras. Guth Karras brought me to the United States. But here's something that's amazing. On my arrival in Kansas City, he took me straight to the wrestling arena to see the ending of a couple of matches, a guy called Dick the Bruiser. Mm-hmm. And those guys were wrestling. And I thought, massive crowds. So I, I, I'm in Kansas City. I stayed there overnight in a hotel. The next morning, I just said, I want to go and find a gym to, to work, keep in shape. I walked to the YMCA in Kansas City. I walked in the door and the guys looked at me and says, Earl Maynard. I said, yes. He said, you're Earl Maynard? I said, yes. What are you doing in Kansas City? I said, this is my first day in the country. Can you imagine my first day in a new country? Someone knows me, recognizes me. So I'm a big fan of yours. I have all your photographs, your bodybuilding photographs. He said, when the people in the YMCA know you're here, they're going to mob you because they're all big fans of yours. That was the beginning. But here's something else. When I found an apartment, I discovered that the tennis were all members of the Kansas City Chiefs football team. <laughs> the first American football game I ever saw was the Super Bowl. The Chiefs and Miami Dolphins on the Sunday before that for America. Imagine me in the Kansas City Chiefs all in the same building. So things in America got off to a wonderful start and I, lo- I loved it. You mentioned one thing with Jane Koniski. When in my first championship bout, Koniski was the champion and he was against me in Peoria, Illinois and we drew on the biggest houses ever in that city. So my first Championship match was against Gene Kaniski. So that's all the tie-in, what I just said. Yes, great guy from the Vancouver area, if I remember that correctly, uh, Western Canada. But I'm curious to know, because obviously we talk about Gus bringing you in and everything like that. When did you get connected with the other famous son of Kansas City wrestling, Harley Race? Bob Geichel, uh, Bob Brown, uh, Dick DeBruiser, uh Oh, my other big names, Robert Brazil uh, came in with me as a tag team at the time. Uh, Thunderbolt Patterson. I met, I met Harley Race in Minneapolis. Uh, Ernie Ladd and I were tag team partners between, between uh, Harley Race and Larry, some other person. Larry, Larry Henning. Larry yes. Henning. We were in Kansas City and I was tag team with er, uh, Ernie Ladd. And that's when I first met Harley Race. Had a fantastic match for Vern Gagne's promotion at that time. Okay, so was that that probably would have been around the same time he was going by the name Jake Long or something like that? Yes. Am I wrong, Mike? No, no, you're right. Okay. Well, Dr. Mike, uh, do you want to got to throw in a couple of things since we're talking that time period? Yeah, well, Gene Kaniski, Big Thunder. Let me 
ask Earl about Ernie Ladd because uh, Luthez helped finesse him when he got out of the AFL and, uh, and, and, you know, Ernie had a tremendous career. I was very close to him. I was like one of the last people to see him uh, and rode with he and his wife back from Cauliflower Alley to the, the hotel when the Cauliflower, that particular year's Cauliflower Alley was over. But uh, Ernie was talking about Earl and how much fun he had in LA with Mil Mascaris and other of Earl's contemporaries. And that got me thinking, Earl, who was all natural, was like, it was unusual to have well-cut uh, defined, you know, that bodybuilder body. We had Moscaris, we had Earl, Dory Dixon never gets recognition in that respect. And then of course, Billy Graham later, but that was much, you know, a whole decade plus or more after uh, Earl's success. Earl though, when you saw Ernie Ladd transform into like this killer heel and for a time, like around 71, 72, he was almost a touring attraction. He was one of the greatest heels ever, greatest talker. But what did you think of him as a heel? Because that was not like the Ernie Ladd you had tagged up with, uh, et cetera, and had seen it. He became such a colorful heel. You know, I really didn't think much of him as a heel, Ernie Ladd, somehow. Uh, well, because he was big and imposing, uh, I didn't think he did enough really to, like the great heels, like, Pat Patterson, when he was a heel, or Dick the Bruiser. I don't think Ernie really was in that, that class. Uh, he, he did more talking and gesturing than actual movement. I like movement. I like you doing something, not standing up, pointing your finger and that kind of stuff at something. Get involved. So therefore, that Kaniski and, 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 and some of those guys, Dick the Bruiser, no, they were heels. You know, uh, Guys from Texas, you know, some tough Texan, Texan guys with, with good heels in Texas. Dusty Rose, people like that who I worked with. Uh, they were tough heels. Okay. Yeah. And Dick, yeah, Dickie Murdoch, a, a lot of great heels. Cyclone Negro, who was in L.A., but also a big heel for Dory Funk Sr. in Amarillo, where you, you wrestled. And um, let me ask about Judo Gene LaBelle, or actually... How did you end up coming into Los Angeles? Because that part, you either told me and I forgot or I've never known. But then you would satellite and bop back and forth between Roy Shire and Mike LaBelle in Los Angeles. I, I think you started in L.A. first and then uh, started working for Roy or is it the other way around? I, I was first working for Gene Kaniski in, in Canada first. Yeah, and then after I left Canada... I, uh, I called Roy Shire, and Roy told me, yes, come down to, uh, to San Francisco. And then they would send me for different matches in L.A., tagging up with Rocky Johnson. Right. So after I finished with Shire, I moved into L.A., first to Japan for Mr. Moto, and then back to Los Angeles full time. But that whole journey with Shire and with Gene LaBelle and those guys was a wonderful experience for me. Uh, Shire was a strange individual. I remember when I contacted him, he said, come down to, uh, to San Francisco. And the very first night I'm at the Cow Palace, he said to me, I want to talk to you. I said, well, yes, Mr. Shire. He said, I hear you like white women. Yeah, I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I'll tell you what I heard. Don't bring any wrong here with this match. I said, Mr. Shire, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to argue with him. It's the first night working for him. I'm not going to argue with him. 
I found out later what brought that about. I was in Vancouver, my last week in Vancouver. I met a young lady who thought I was a football player playing for the Vancouver football team. I said, no, I, I'm a wrestler. She said, I've never been to a wrestling match, but I've watched it on television. She said, we'd like to go to a match. She said, yes. So I took as my guest to her first wrestling match. One of the wrestlers saw this beautiful girl and tried chatting her up. She said, she said, I'm a guest of Mr. Maynard. So this guy said to her, Earl Maynard, guess how the girl came women? Told the girl this. Mm. And went and told the promoter, I saw the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, but she's here with Earl Maynard. The promoter who told Roy Shire that story. That's how it happened. And after a while, I started to call Roy, Uncle Roy. <laughs> we became good buddies. Never a problem with Roy Shire after that first meeting with him. And I worked for him, and good, good doors were open with Roy Shire. And I, I cannot complain about Roy Shire. Uh, they say he was racist, not with me. Only that first incident where we sold it, and that was it. Well, because I started going down with, uh, with Rocky Johnson, tag teaming. And then after Japan, Mr. Morton said, I want you here. And that's how I stayed in Los Angeles. And I'm living there. And I ended my career in Los Angeles. And then from, from Jean LaBelle got me my first movie part while resting there. And uh, Jean was so instrumental in me getting into the film industry. I owe so much to Jean LaBelle, one of my favorite, favorite individuals. And that was the start of my movie career. I've done 22 films uh, in the Hollywood and around the world, starting with Jean LaBelle, helping me get in the film industry at, at Warner Brothers. And another close brother of mine, even longer than you, um, going back to like 67, was Pepper Martin. And I don't know, uh, we just lost Pepper a couple of weeks ago. And oh, he yes. And we, he had called me in January to say, you know, he was going into hospice. He had beaten eye cancer. We lost one of his eyes about 14 years ago. Never smoked really, or had quit smoking like back uh, in 1964. But what ended up getting him uh, in December was, uh, and he'd, he had a lung removed from uh, lung cancer. So that's what took him from us. But did Pepper help you or, or in any way with your acting career? Because he too. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure he I did. Always, I always thought about his smoking. He was a very heavy smoker. And I kept talking to him. Listen, Pepper, Pepper, I always talked about him. Pepper, why do you smoke so much? He said, I got to have some enjoyment in life. Pepper introduced me to my agent in Hollywood. Wow. My first agent, Pepper, introduced me. And that was my first and last agent because of Pepper's introduction. So he didn't help me get into any films, but he gave me his agent who helped me to work in different movies. He got me The Deep, got me The Sword and the Sorcerer. He got me all my films, the same agent that Pepper had, he introduced me to. So I'm very grateful to Pepper. Uh, he'd been in my house uh, when he was in Los Angeles, visit me for drinks and stuff. So we were good friends as well. And I was saddened to hear of the, of the problems that he encountered. And, uh, you know, Sally was just passing. But Pepper was a good guy. He was a wonderful guy. And uh, he was Sherry's broken agent for a while. And, uh, you know, he was a great guy. I, I miss Pepper very much. Very wonderful individual. We're talking, of course, to Earl Maynard, the champion wrestler, champion actor, philanthropist, so many things, real estate mogul. Um, but um, 
and I'll get into Roy Shire in a second, but you, I think, were an inspiration to a lot of people because you were always about health and clean living. And I think it must have rubbed off on folks. Like John Tolis used to tell me, you know, I mean, he went off the wagon on some stuff, but he would always look to you for like inspiration to doing, you know, things right. And, you know, I mean, there were various points when he was very strict with his diet and, and stuff, but there were times when he was not. But uh, he said you were one of those locker room leaders, uh, at least on health. And a lot of the guys weren't doing uh, weightlifting or calisthenics or anything back then, not the way it's been since about, you know, 1970 with the rise of all these health clubs and all of this stuff, but you were already doing all of that. So I hope you know you were an inspiration to live for a lot of these guys to clean up their act and live healthier wherever you went, you know, whether it was LA or, you know, San Francisco, et cetera, or Vancouver for uh, Sander Kovacs and Gene Kaniski. Any thoughts on Sander Kovacs? Wasn't he kind of a character or sort of like yes. Don, yeah, Don yes. Owen's brother, Elton Owen? But tell us some Kovacs stories. <laughs> but Mike, you are forgetting one important point. I've always been where it came from. I was a sickly, pathetic kid who wanted to improve his health and well-being. So that was the first step in my life. From where I came from, I wanted to improve physically, and I started bodybuilding and so on. But I've always had a healthy life. Bruno San Martino always said that I was always very helpful in talking to youngsters, young wrestlers, about maintaining good health, avoiding the steroids, and taking care of their physical well-being. Bruno was always a great fan of mine. Always said to everyone that Earl Minute has always been helpful to the young wrestlers, encouraging them to live a healthy lifestyle, you know, coming on the drinking and the smoking. So one thing that I missed about Bruno San Martino, he was a great, great pal to always push my theories about health and well-being. And that's why uh, in, my, in my book, uh, I, I quoted Bruno's, the things he said to others about me, which I thought was wonderful. But I've always talked to wrestlers about the use of steroids. My, I've never used a steroid in bodybuilding in my entire life. Oh, I know. I've had angst with superstar Billy Graham about this. We had some ding-dong discussions over this over the years. I mean, I love the guy, but we had some serious talk about this. But other wrestlers, they want to get bigger and stronger. But I'm telling these guys, health first, physique secondary. Because you're older a lot longer than you're young. You're young a short period, but you're old long as hell. So an investment in the earliest years of your life will pay huge dividends in your longevity as you go along. You want to enjoy your benefits of your hard earnings in the ring. You want to have it invested. You want to have something to look forward to in your older age. You don't want charities or someone looking after you and helping you out. So you plan for the future, but first your health is the first priority. Health and then financial success. Those are the important aspects that you need in your life. And you know, Billy Graham, God, the last 20 years, he's had knee replacements, kidney and livers go out, all of this stuff, you know, the diametric opposite of you. Uh, and I remember photographing you against him when he came back for his last tour in Los Angeles. It was March of 1972 in, in LA. And, uh, in fact, he debuted or he re-debuted because the character he was doing for Roy Shire, the spirit of America, you know, wearing these kind of 
leather uh, jacket with chaps things. And then he came in with all the tie dye and the color and all of that stuff. And he debuted or re-debuted, you know, after being away for about a year and a half against Dory Dixon. So I just want to, before throwing to Jonathan, I want to ask you about Dory because my Mount Rockefeller, and, and you just came a little bit, you know, after them, but the late 50s, early 60s for Fred Kohler in Chicago and Vince McMahon Sr., they had the, you know, the nationally syndicated TV. Kohler's TV was on the old Dumont network, but it was Boba Brazil, Dory Dixon, Sailor R. Thomas, and Sweet Daddy Seeky. And then you were that next generation just a few years later with guys, you know, like Bearcat and and, and Rocky and, and so many other great ones. Luther, Lindsay, these are all total, total legends, uh, including yourself. But Dory, when he came into LA, they didn't talk about any of his magnificent history or the fact that he's like one of those few guys that adopted so many hybrid styles. And he, you know, became a king in Mexico City. And he also became uh, a commissioner for the board overseeing boxing and wrestling there. He could speak a zillion languages, probably like yourself or Pampero Furpo. Uh, just tell us a little about Dory, because I think there's a guy who, you know, gets sort of short shrift. People don't talk about him as they should at, at being, you know, a, a great guy like yourself. Everybody loves Earl Maynard. Everybody should love and respect Dory Dixon as well, too. Dory Dixon? Yeah. Dory is now a preacher, you know, runs a church in Mexico. Really? So I'm told that he's an evangelist. He's an evangelist. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't like to go back to Jamaica, but because, you know, he's, he's Jamaican, very successful in Mexico, and uh, he got into a bit of a, a problem in, Mex in, in Jamaica at one point, and now, uh, man, but he got out of it, and then he went back to Mexico and never went back to Jamaica again. But Jerry was a quite wonderful guy. I was with him, working with him in Guatemala in some matches there. I've not seen him in a long time, but from what I hear, he's doing very well and is now a minister of the gospel. So at least he's very active uh, in religious activities. That's the last I heard of him. Uh, I'm going to throw it at Jonathan, but let me ask, who were some people you enjoyed working with or teaming with, either working against or teaming with, you know, I'll throw out names like Ray Stevens, Peter Maivia, obviously Pat Patterson, who I was real uh, close to in that office. So many guys, Pepper Gomez, who lived two blocks away from me in Alameda, California, Northern Cal. Uh, yes. And then guys in LA, John Tolis, Kenji Shibuya, Masa Saito. There was a zillion guys in Los Angeles too. And all of them loved Earl Maynard to the hilt. I'm, I'm telling you, let me tell you about Peter Mavia, first of all. Peter Mavia went from Samoa, and he wrestled in New Zealand, and then into England. He brought his wife and daughter Atta with him to England. His very first match in England was with me. Wow. He was wanted to do a, a good impression. It was a tough match. He was one of the toughest and strongest guys I've ever wrestled. And we had a fantastic match. We tore the house down. I'm being honest with you. The crowd loved it. We got standing ovation. And after wrestling in England, we wrestled together in Paris and other countries. And we end up with Roy Shire in San Francisco. Yeah. I'm tagging up with, with Rocky Johnson. And Arthur is now a, a, a grown woman, said to me, she's 18 now. She said to me, Earl, I want to introduce me to your partner. 
I said, no, no, no. Said, Why not? I said, because your father does not want you involved with any wrestlers. The answer is no. So Mr. Maynard, what can it hurt for an introduction? I said, what part of no don't you understand? I am not going to introduce you to Rocky Johnson. The answer is no. Mr. Maynard, one little simple introduction. I said, but don't let your father know that I am going to introduce you to Rocky Johnson. He said, that's no problem. A few months later, she's married to <laughs> Rocky Johnson and the rock is born. So I was the one that introduced Atta to Rocky Johnson, the father of the rock. And a lot of people think it looks like me in, in many ways. <laughs> Are you watching? I don't think the rock knows. I don't think the rock knows that I was the one that introduced his parents. I don't think he knows. I've never met him. I've never met him. But yeah. uh, I was the one that introduced his, his parents. And Peter Mave is one of the toughest wrestlers I've ever met. But a guy called George Gordienko, a Canadian. Oh, yeah. Oh, my man. Tower of strength and, and, and very powerful and an excellent wrestler. They were two of the toughest guys I think I've wrestled over the years. Ben Tabuzo was tough too, but compared to Gene, uh, Gordienko in, in Canada and those guys, and uh, I've had some good matches with some very good good wrestlers. But Pat, Pat Patterson and, and, and Ray Steven, I think they're the two of the finest wrestlers that I've ever known. Two of the very best. Uh, in my book, that has the list. Patterson and Stevens, both as heels and as baby faces, I think they, they're, I don't, you can't get, you couldn't get any better than Stevenson and Patterson at their best. I think they were the best. Good. Jonathan, I'll, I'll throw to you. Okay. Well, thank you very much, sir. And two things I want to bring up. And obviously, we've brought up about the introduction of Atta and Rocky. And so from time to time, I have communicated with, folks in Dwayne's camp. So if Dwayne happens to hear this, Earl would like a little royalty check once in a while for uh, the introduction of your folks. <laughs> yeah, he, he won't say no to that check, but teaming with Rocky, what kind of a teammate would you say he was in the ring? Excellent. Excellent teammate. Rocky Johnson is my favorite tag team partner. I've had some of the best uh, Pedro Morales in New York, uh, Victor Rivera, Rocky Johnson was without a doubt my best tight team partner ever. Uh, yes, I saw him before he passed away. I spent some time in, in, in Florida. I had lunch with him. He took me to the airport. I, I met Atta, his ex-wife at the time. And we had a wonderful time in Florida. And I was saddened. You know, when I saw him, he seemed okay. But it was like a year and a half later, when uh, he passed away, I was, I was very sudden at his passing. But we all have to go sometime or other, so that's it. Yeah, yeah it was sudden, that's for sure, from what I've heard. But uh, curious to know, you mentioned uh, his father-in-law, the high chief, Peter. Yes. What, was that just like natural strength when you were working with him? Or was he a guy that was like yourself and worked out and all that kind of stuff? Strength. Peter Mavia had a structure uh, that's the one structure, you know, uh, thick hips and, and, and thick legs, uh, large bones. And he was only about 5'10", you know, 5'10 at the most. But he was so thick, very large, a large structure, a large solid structure. Uh, he claimed that he worked hard and uh, 
did a lot of strength things, but I didn't see him much in the gym with weights. Funny, oddly enough, Rocky Joshua and I worked out in the gym with the weights, bench pressing and so on, but not Peter Mavia. I've never seen Peter Mavia in the gym working with the weights, but yet he had this, this build with thick limbs and, and very, very thick structure. He was a natural. Peter Mavia was a natural. Uh, and a nice guy. You remember him in the James Bond movie? Uh, never said, uh, you only lived twice when he had a big fight scene with Sean Connery. Uh, I don't remember that, him and Sean Connery in, uh, in that film. But Peter Mavia was a very nice guy. A he laughed so easily. Oh, no, he was a, he was a Lord Chief, High Chief. And this was some one people. <laughs> He was such a wonderful guy, always smiling, uh, a joyful attitude, really wonderful human being. And those Samoans in general tend to, from all, anybody I've heard, be naturally strong, like you mentioned there. But I'm curious to know, because you, you've talked about working overseas in England and France and all that kind of thing. Did you enjoy doing rounds? or what they do here in the States. So it was just one match and it was a completely different structure. You know something? I love the old style. You know, changes do occur. It's now more theatrical. Guys spend through the air and, all, and, and getting more injuries than ever. The, the, the wrestlers of today are making a lot more money, of course, but they're getting injured often and dying younger. Some of the old, old wrestlers live forever. Some of these youngsters... 50 years, they're having a heart attack, they're dying young because they, they want to get bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And they want to be, they're flying through the air. Injuries more so now. I prefer the old Matt ways. Of course, it's more spectacular now. Vince McMahon Jr. has done a fantastic job in making wrestling entertaining. But I love the way his father promoted who I worked for at the WWF. I enjoyed those days more so. Guys lived longer. They enjoyed wrestling more. Nowadays, there are too many accidents, too many injuries involved, and the guys are dying far younger. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I always like talking to guys who worked with uh, Vince Sr., and we actually spoke last week with uh, Brian Solomon, who had a book out on a Sheik, and he mentioned uh, Toots Mond. So what was your interaction with like Vince Senior and Tutsman and guys of that era. Oh, uh, uh, Vince Senior, wonderful, and uh, Alfred Scola and all those guys in New York. The New York office was fantastic with Vince Batman Senior, and he was a pleasant man. You know, he, he was he smiled and talked to everyone. That whole WWF organization was fantastic. Everyone was friendly. Everyone was was cooperative. Everyone was helpful. And it was a nice camaraderie with the group. I don't know now about Vince McMahon uh, Jr. I remember him as a youngster going to school. I remember his driver very well years ago. Uh, he's done a fancy job, made a lot more money. Wrestlers are richer now than ever, than ever. But I think they're gonna pay a price as far as their health is concerned. And when you are so successful financially, you can spend some of that money on your health as you get older. To me, that doesn't make any kind of sense. It might be old fashioned, but I prefer the older cyber wrestling. It is safer. You enjoy the wrestling. The, the crowds enjoyed it. No, it is it's spectacular. It, it, it's, it's aerobatic. It, it, it's, 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 it's like a trapeze artist through the air. Gym, gymnastics in the air, which is <laughs> fine. You know, 
it is bringing the crowds, so it's making money. But I am concerned because I always care about people's health. I'm sorry, that, 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 that's me. I'm a softy. I worry about people's health and well-being. And I am concerned about the well-being of the profession, today's wrestlers because I see too many injuries and too many of them lives are cut short unnecessarily. Well, I'd be curious now before I throw back to Dr. Mike, like we said throughout this whole conversation with you, Earl, you've had multiple careers. You had the bodybuilding, you had the professional wrestling, the acting. But it, when people realize who you are and such, is there a particular profession they remember you most from? Acting, because there's a couple of films I made that <laughs> there is one from a mid called Black Belt Jones. The guy Jim uh, Kelly, he did Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. And while in Hong Kong during Bruce Lee, the director, Richard Krause, a very nice guy, wanted to do a black martial arts film in America. And Jim was really his star. Jim told the director he wants me to be the bad guy opposite him in the film. So in the film, I uttered a line where I picked up a guy, threw him on a trampoline, his head goes through the ceiling, and his legs are dangling in the air while his head on the trampoline. And I say, that ain't the answer. That ain't the answer. I put up another guy, slammed around, and said, that wasn't it either. Those two statements were said to me in different languages all over the world, in foreign languages. That ain't the answer. I'm in the bank one day, the guy walks by. That ain't the answer. People remember that after so many years, that's two lines still used. So, and then in the, the, the deep with the outboard motor, when I tried to cut the guy's head off in the, in the movie The Deep, they remember that scene of when he kidnapped Jacqueline Bisset. So those films people remember after all these years. Those films did not remember more because films, of course, were more universal than the rest of the United States or whatever. But it's more international and all over the world. Dr. Mike? I'm going to have to do a, another slam article and then obviously put it on Jonathan's crazy train site too uh, about you for your next cruise so you can show it up. Um, let me ask Sydney, uh, did Earl smarten you up to the inner workings of, of wrestling? Are you aware of all of that stuff? And, and what are your thoughts on, on wrestling and Earl's career there? Um, I wasn't part of his life when he was wrestling. So that was all before me. I came into Earl's circle of friends when he was doing personal training. So I've heard all the stories about wrestling. I know several of the characters that he wrestled against and on all the stories, but no, it wasn't part of our era together. We never met until 1992. Well, Earl, Earl, you were on that outdoor Los Angeles Coliseum big show in August of 1971. Uh, do you have any memories of that? I don't know if you wrestled outdoor stadiums all that much. That's the, the one. The outdoor show at the Coliseum? Uh, no, no, I did outdoors only in, in, in South Korea and in Guatemala. Big outdoor shows there. Uh, it was so cold in South Korea. They had big big heaters <laughs> on the sidelines, freezing cold. This was in April. But I'm telling you, when I was in South Korea, my mind, my 
guys said, you want to go to the DMZ? I said, well, go to have a look. Mike, I have never been so scared of human beings as I was North Korean soldiers. Oh. Getting close to DMZ, I'm telling you, the look on the face of those soldiers scared the living days out of me. I sincerely hope that no third war, third world war occurs anywhere between North Korea and the others, because those soldiers are the most frightening individuals I've ever seen, more than any rest that I've ever encountered. The looks, the, the, the looks on their faces, the, the intent, I said, let me out of here. I could not wait to leave the DMZ to get back into Seoul, where I thought it was safer. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and but, uh, we, uh, we have scary times right now with... Uh, uh, Kim in North Korea firing those missiles, you know, all the time to test people, all that stuff Putin is doing in the Ukraine. You know, these are, and then, you know, we're, we're still sort of in COVID. I don't know. How is, uh, where you guys live, how is COVID doing? Were they smart and, and cut it off, cut it off from visitors coming in, tourists coming in for a while to keep COVID cases low? Or how did uh, you guys fare with COVID since 2020? Um, we were initially in lockdown for about three months, and then we adapted all the protocols of masks, yeah. uh, six feet apart, um, waiting your turn to go in to go grocery shopping, uh, only 20 people allowed in the store at a time. Uh, they've controlled it very well. And then any cases that have popped up uh, the people are immediately put into isolation and attended to by doctors and nurses. But we've fared pretty well. Um, Compared to other countries? I, yeah, I would say 68% um, of the island is completely vaccinated uh, and the elderly population all have full vaccinations and boosters. So um, we're in pretty good shape. That's great. Uh, the only thing is we can't have... Uh, the huge carnival uh, parties anymore because too many visitors coming into the island. Well, yeah, they finally just had carnival in uh, in New Orleans. Um, you know, I, I hope things get back to normal soon because uh, I'm still wearing a mask. Anytime I go out, I'm in my bubble with uh, my wife and mother-in-law. And Earl, let me ask: Are a are you watching the Young Rock show? Does it make its way there to you? And also, are you watching today's pro wrestling at all or MMA or boxing? Um, the Young Rock show does make it. The Young Rock show makes it on our TV, but it's aggrandized. I'll, I'll say it's not strictly by the book, you know, for flourishing. Oh, no, it's a work. Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah. None of those people wrestled for Leah Maivia. I personally know who did. And none of those guys. So I don't know. You know, it has some basis in yeah, fact, there's some, some of truth, it. But, but yeah. yeah. So no, we don't watch it. Yeah. Um, what was your second question? Oh, question? are you guys or Earl watching today's pro wrestling? So Earl kind of sees what Vince Jr. is doing? Or this? Uh, no, something. No, I don't watch it anymore. I, I don't. That's the truth. I don't. Uh, I like boxing. I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan. Uh, you know, I started doing boxing for, for wrestling. Members of the RAF, I, I boxed and hit a friend of mine with a left hook, almost killed him. And <laughs> that was the end of my boxing career. And uh, no, no, I'm a big boxing fan. Big boxing fan. I, I'm going to watch the fight. 
Saturday night with uh, Tyson Fury and, and, and that guy. I'm a big boxing fan, always. But Mike, I must tell you something. Uh, I tell about my book. Amazon, my book has got five stars, my book uh, on Amazon. Wow. But yes, uh, Earl Man, the man who ruled the universe on Amazon, I got five star rating. So have, have you read it yet? No, no, we've had, it's been kind of crazy here with the, you know, health stuff and, and my mother-in-law and stuff. So I haven't been yeah. able to do anything, uh, but I, I definitely want to, because no one would have a more interesting life story than Earl the Pearl, Mr. Universe Maynard. So Earl, let me, as we're winding down here and I'll throw back to Jonathan, but let me let you plug your book. Where can people get your book? And, uh, you know, that was a labor of love. I'm sure, you know, it's hard writing a book. And, uh... Many people have said to me over the time that I should write a book because their kids should know about me, where I started, and what I've accomplished through hard work as an individual, not a team sport, an individual, you had to do this on your own. So therefore, the people encourage me to write the book and finally I decide that I am going to write the book and it took me about eight months to write it. And I am pleased with the result. So the, the feedback has been so wonderful. Uh, Amazon.com has it. Earl Maynard, the man who ruled the universe. Uh, I don't know if I can show you a copy of the, the front here, if you can see it here. Uh, wow, yeah, there's Earl of Pearl. Yeah, and uh, Earl Maynard, the man who ruled the universe. So listen, I, I want all the friends to get this book. Remember the Earl Menard, the man who the universe on Amazon.com. I, I want to autograph yours specifically for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Mahalo. Thank you. Jonathan. Well, my last question would be, Earl, and thank you so much for the time. But when you look back at your everything you've accomplished, is there something that stands out for you as far as what you'd be most proud of? Yes. That question has been asked me several times. And let me give you the truthful answer. Being married to this wonderful wife of mine, Sydney Maynard. That is the gospel truth. I am telling you, meeting her at the right time of my life has made my life so wonderful, so different, so enjoyable. Out of all the things I've got, two Mr. Universe titles, Mr. World, 22 movies, Oh, this stuff has been good. But being mighty to this wonderful lady has been my most wonderful accomplishment. And that is the truth, my brother. You can tear that to the back. Bang. Let that be written. Let that be done. Well, let me ask you this then as a follow-up as we wrap. Can the story be told on where you met this wonderful woman? Y yes. Where did we meet? We met at Marietta Hot Springs Resort. In California, I, know that I was taking over the fitness department there, and Sid was there promoting her daughter, her daughter's hairdressing salon, and she came talking to friends that she knew before, and I was in the office there, and she wanted to cut to me last. I said, "Look, excuse me, because I'm black, I don't get my hair cut." She said, "I'll be right there in a minute." I thought, I'm a star. You, you, you don't put me last behind other people. And she called me and says, I was going to come and see you. I said, I was only joking. I'm only kidding with you. <laughs> and we made the best of friends from that day. But you 
were my personal trainer. I was her personal trainer for a long time. I met a beautiful, more beautiful, I should say. But she was a fashion model in Hollywood for a while. And then uh, over the years, but I took her over and trained her. And the result, she still looks fantastic to this very day. That's great. <laughs> but it's been an honor having you back on, seeing you again, seeing Sydney and talking to her for the first time, for me at least. And uh, we just love you. You're a, a total legend in everything you've done uh, on the planet. And you have way more stuff to do. So I'm going to encourage everybody, go to Amazon.com. Everybody knows Amazon. And get Earl Maynard's book. Earl, what's it called again? Conquering the Universe? Earl Maynard, the man who ruled the universe. The man who Earl ruled. Maynard, the man who ruled the universe. Amazon.com. Earl, right. thank you so much for the time, sir. Mike, thank you so very much. I'm so how well you look, and I still want to come and visit us in Barbados. Combate Curacao. Tomo. brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, this is Anthony DeLongis and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.